if you're the kind of dad who keeps telling your kids, God help you, and you're not a member of any clergy, then this is the podcast for you. Maybe not the holiest podcast in the podcast sphere, but definitely the podcast that celebrates suburban dad life and dads everywhere. We are Bad to the Dad with Coach Randy and Adam D. This is our season finale, episode 15 of season four. They call me Adam D. They call the gentleman I'm about to introduce Big in Luxembourg. And we'll explain that in just a bit. His name is Coach Randy. Coach, great to see you again. Adam D, as always, great to see you. Uh, Miss you miss you in the yep. den it's uh crazy but i we're doing the right thing uh constantly question about going out and doing things but uh uh you're over there in the cave i'm here in the den uh, and somehow we managed to bring this this podcast to our listeners every week on time because we are bad to the dad bad to the dad doing the zoom thing and serving as great role models for not just other dads but but other people just be safe uh, the end, I don't know if it's near, but it's, it's coming nigh. soon. It's nigh. It's not. It's nigh. We're going with nigh. Like old Lang Syne, we're going with that kind of language now. It's nigh. Yeah. Well, with the vaccinations um, on the cusp of being approved by the FDA and the first wave of uh, essential workers, including healthcare workers and those adjacent to healthcare workers, about to receive the vaccine. Uh, January is going to be a good month. February is going to be even better. You know, I was on a, a webinar, not to bore anybody, but you know, this is, I'm, I'm in health. Whatever you say is never boring, Adam. Do you hey, know it's well, a way of uh, enlightening us all? So please. Thank you for constantly affirming my existence, but uh, I was on a New Jersey Board of Health webinar and the way that they are setting up the vaccination centers, they're doing small ones, medium, large, and mega. They expect that in the mega centers alone, 2,500 people in the state of New Jersey can be vaccinated. Uh, in one day. And with the other centers combined, they think a million people a month just in this state could be vaccinated. And we are the most populated state in America. So if that is our plan, imagine how fast we can get everybody else vaccinated across the country. Granted, they put their fears aside. Granted, they don't have any ideological issues or restrictions with it. Mm -hmm. uh, this could be the beginning of the end of a, a very, very tough period in our history. Are you uh, going to take the vaccination, MD? I am. I am. I've, I've done the research. I know that you're not injected with a full strain of COVID-19. You're, you're, you're injected rather with a coating, a protein, if you will, uh, that helps stimulate your, your defenses. Does it involve bleach? Uh, do you want it to involve bleach? <laughs> I'm just curious to know if that ever made its way into the realm of vaccinations. They fortunately, fortunately, the more cerebral scientists said, I think we hope this bleach story mm -hmm. kind of goes by the wayside. Well, as right. we know, our, our current president in the debate said that was tongue in cheek. But how would you know? How would you know? It, it came out pretty serious. I think, I think Woolite may actually be the cure. Really? Believe, you, perhaps have you like, seen the needle on these uh, vaccinations? Yeah, um, on, on certain 
on certain syringes, it's pretty intense. It uh, harkens back to those old needles that you saw like in 50s and 60s hospital shows. Like six, seven inches in length. Yeah, it's going to go in there. But and it goes in the bone, right? Right in the bone in your arm? I don't know if it goes all the way into the bone. That that I'd have to research. But look, uh, three or four seconds of minor pain for perhaps five a years lifetime, of knowing. A lifetime of health. A life, well, not about a lifetime, but I think that the... The, the period of protection is at least five years. It could be a little bit longer depending on the other vaccines that, that get approved. But I think that's the horizon for the Pfizer and Moderna injections. Well, I'm going to so I'm 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 gauge my experience based on yours. So, so you're going to let me be the guinea pig. The, the, the pressure's on you. Hey, coach, you know who's always willing to experiment regardless of the dangers? If you're thinking what I'm thinking, and I know you think what I think, because oh. you think what I think, what I think is what you think, and you think what I think was I'm always thinking is Berman Branding, Becky Berman of BermanCS.com. You thunk all, right. I thunk right. Look at that. She's one of our major sponsors. She has been for all of our four seasons at BermanCS.com for all your graphic design and website needs. And if she can take care of Coach Randy... And embellish his brand for his mm -hmm. personal coaching business. Yep. Imagine what she can do for you. In Imagine. fact, I would recommend go to Coach Randy Says. on You're on Instagram. You're on Facebook, I'm on right? Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you not even got Pinterest, which why? I don't uh, know. But one must have Pinterest. <laughs> Learning about all the different things. And soon to be TikTok. Oh, we're going to be on TikTok. You're going to be on TikTok. Yes. Oh, my, I, my daughter's now the, uh, Michaela is now the, uh, the head of my uh, social media department. Will there be dancing? Uh, there might be some dancing at first because she told me that I have to go out and do something that involves dancing. So um, people will start following and she will have all of her thousand followers follow me. So Get to I'm going to have Fred a Astaire school. You got to be, you got to be light on your feet. Hey, you know, we're also brought to you by Movember and Movember.com. That is the men's health campaign, grow a funky mass mustache and raise awareness and funds for men's health issues. And we'd like to thank Keith Barbaria, our guest in season four, for turning us on to that. And we'd also like to thank a group of anonymous educators who just want to thank all the other educators, support staff, and administrators for keeping education going during COVID times. We know it's not easy, but educators, support staff, and administrators, thank you so much for everything you do, for all of your innovative ideas, and of course, for listening, for listening. Our guest today, Coach, is going to be Rabbi Ari Lucas of a synagogue called Congregation of Gudith Israel in Caldwell, New Jersey. You may have heard of it. I That's have it. heard of it because I'm a member of it. Not just heard of it, but you're a member too. And yes. I, of course, am a member. And uh, when we do go to services, when, you know, services were a thing that you did in, per in person, Coach Randy and I would sit together and we would often get shushed. We were like the, we two, old, the two old Muppets in the balcony. Yes. We couldn't stop talking. We and of course, would, uh, while sermons we, were going we, on. We weren't shushers. We were the shushies. We were the shushies. Yeah. We and I, I got to I gotta be honest with you. That is one of the biggest things I miss. I swear how much I miss. Being shushed? Uh, uh, being shushed. Uh, being in shul, going to services, sitting with uh, the Chandlers. Um, it became such a nice routine. It was just something to do on Saturdays. It's not that it was, I didn't necessarily go for all the quote unquote religious observance. It was really about community. Mm -hmm. And that's really a big part of us as Jewish people. And as we're celebrating Hanukkah, the idea behind community, uh, we were talking with our girls and how we really miss going to shul, sitting, you know, listing the services afterwards, going up and getting the big challah and then sitting for uh, 
for the big kiddish. It's uh, really, I didn't realize how much it began to become part of our life when now it's uh, non-existent. So I yeah. love that congregation. Rabbi Lucas is a remarkable human being. Another one of a great guest and no better way to end season four episode 15 then with uh, rabbi lucas yeah and the story of hanukkah he's a superstar rabbi who uh, has learned from another superstar rabbi and alan silverstein who uh their 40 years 40 years plus of service will be uh moving on and we thank him of course for everything he's done for our community and, and really the, the communities jewish non-jewish around the world uh, just uh, an amazing, amazing presence, a uh, luminary of, of rabbinic life. Uh, and we'll get up to all that Hanukkah and, and a rabbi's role during uh, COVID times and you know, 2020, which was an unusual year to be any member of, of the clergy. We'll get to that in just a bit. But coach, we got to talk about Luxembourg. I, I we're on you, the map in Luxembourg. Luxembourg, out of nowhere, Adam D, as I shared that email from you. Um, I don't know how or why, but apparently... We're in the top 40 podcasts in the kids and family section of Luxembourg. Luxembourg. Yeah, Luxembourg. You know what? We'll take it anywhere we can get it. And we thank the people of Luxembourg. So we're going to say, merci. We're going to say, danke schön. I don't speak Luxembourgish, which is another one of the official languages of Luxembourg. Do, do you know much about Luxembourg? Is that such a thing, Luxembourgish? It's not. That is a language. Luxembourgish. Luxembourgish is. And I think Luxembourgians or Ians are the yeah. are what you call somebody from, from Luxembourg. I just call them Luxers. I just call them Luxers. Just call well, them I don't Luxers. Know if you, I don't, that might be derogatory. You may have to ask one. Yes. You have to ask one. And you know that the capital, Luxembourg City, yes. is one of the four official capitals of the European Union. In fact, you can thank Luxembourg for being one of the countries that jump-started the whole idea of a European Union. Huh. I did not know that. but I spent all week... <laughs> <laughs> learning a little bit more about Luxembourg because we have an audience there. Oh, now we have an obligation and a joy and pleasure of reaching out to our fan base in Luxembourg, who, who I guess are actually dads as well. They are bad to the dads. How cool would it be if we could get a dad from Luxembourg to reach out to us and be able to interview them on a Bad to the Dad episode? Call to action. So if you are yes. a dad... You know, if, whether you do something interesting or not, you have a business that you want to support online or otherwise, we'd be happy to have you on. Contact us at badtothedad.com. Contact us at badtothedad.com. We'd love to have you on. Not just one, but, but multiple dads. We'll do a whole episode for our fans in Luxembourg. <laughs> they, I would have to assume we please speak English or we'd have to find someone to come in and kind of uh, be no, a no, translator. No. No, look, if, if people are speaking three languages in Luxembourg, I have to imagine that English is one of them. Yes. You know, people in Europe are not like us lazy Americans where yeah. we insist that everybody speak English. Yeah. And if they don't, we speak louder and slower yes. and put the letter O at the end of everything. Do you understand, though, what I'm saying? No, that, that's what Americans do. But Luxembourg, they're a lot more equipped to speak multiple languages. And I don't know if you're listening, Prime Minister Xavier Bettel, but Xavier Bettel... Thank you for leading the nation of Luxembourg. Interesting fact about Prime Minister Bettel. Would you like to hear what it is? I was wondering if there's anybody I want to hear something about would be the Prime Minister of Luxembourg, but you already went and did it for us. So please enlighten me. So Xavier Bettel is the first head of state anywhere in the world who is openly gay and has been reelected. Huh. To his I'll role. Be. 
Yeah. I did so, not know that. So Luxembourg, you know, quietly has made world history over the years, over the decades. And uh, you know, I think we should, we should take notice. You know, and I think we should take notice of the fact that Adam D at the end uh, of, of our 15th episode of season four, who would have thought when we started this not so long ago that we would be in the top 40 podcast in a country, I think it's about the size of the state of, of New Jersey, right? It's a small country. It might be a smidge right. bigger than that, but yeah, right. you're on the right track. Right? And here we are. They said, whoever they were, we couldn't do it. They said, who are you kidding? You're just other podcasts. But we said, no. We said, we're going deep and far. We're going across this world. We are suburban dad life. We are, we are bad to the dead. We are bad. We, we just wanted to get big. Yes. In five square blocks of we, New we were Jersey. Hope, we were hoping West Orange, New Jersey would be big enough, but no. Uh, so yes, Luxembourg, Luxembourg. Uh, but tell me, any exciting things happened for you this week as a dad? I you got know, a great it was, story. It was, it was Hanukkah, so the first couple nights, that went off with uh, without a hitch. But yeah, I want to talk a little bit about paint, Coach Randy. Oh, I'm glad you want to talk about paint. I have a conversation that might just be perfect uh, in terms of a pivot about paint. So perfect. So four years ago, we had most of our living room, loft, dining room area painted by professional painters. It's a big job and we've got vaulted ceilings. So not, not the kind of thing I wanted to do. So we bought uh, paint from Benjamin Moore and it's- Which is, uh, a, it's a great paint, don't get me wrong. Oh, listen, that, that is a very fine, when it comes that to is, paints, it's your yes. top three. Yeah. So it's sort of like an off eggshell. It's sort of a grayish tint to it with, but it's mostly white. And depending on the light, it's grayish whitish. Mm -hmm. uh, use your imagination. You know, maybe I'll take some color swatches and and post them to social media. Just well, you know me and my imagination. I can go deep in many different places. I, I'm a little concerned. So you know what? Uh, everybody except Coach Randy, you can use your imagination when it comes to the gray white swatch. So we have some touch ups that we needed to do because we put some holes in the wall and we've scuffed things up by bringing things up and down the stairs. So typically when a uh, home is painted, there's some leftover paint. I was looking throughout the house for an extra can of this paint for the life. I couldn't, I couldn't find it. Uh -oh. I looked, I looked in the garage. Huh. Where I've got like seven cans of paint, yeah. nothing even close. I went to the basement. We've got a sump pump room that has some paint. We've got a laundry room that has a closet with some paint. We have a corner of the laundry room that had some paint. I looked everywhere for this paint. So you know what I did? It's like a scavenger hunt looking for paint. What a fun game. Yeah, and, and thinking I had the right color, I would do some experiment. Like I would paint a section. Now I've got like my own rainbow. I've got like grays <laughs> and I've got light blues. You had no idea. Whites, I've got off white. Nothing matched. You had no clue how many of shades of gray. Unreal. So apparently there's this thing you can do where you can take a piece of your wall. Yes. And bring it yeah. to Home Depot. Yes. And they have this machine where they, I guess they put the, the sample in a slot, they put it under a computer, the computer analyzes it, and Oof. in a GIF tells you what kind of paint it is. Yes. And the guy at Home Depot insisted, we've got a match. I said, this, this is, a, what a world we live in. It's a miracle. Can, it's a Hanukkah miracle. It was a Hanukkah miracle. So he's like, how much do you want? I said, well, let me get a can. I'll get a can, 22 bucks. I'll get a whole can of this paint. That oh, well, so you got a gallon, you got a gallon, not a, I got, not a, a, I got a gallon, a gallon yeah. of paint. Yeah, let's, let's yeah. talk technical here. Yeah. So what did I do? I brought it home. Mm -hmm. I did a few samples. I waited for it to dry. 
not the right pain. <laughs> the computer got it wrong. Got it wrong. So they I'm always like, for did. the life of me, how am I going to find this mystery paint? Yeah, so? Well, just so happens that three days later, Michelle comes up from the basement, that's my wife, mm -hmm. with a paint can. She says, let's test this one out. Happened to find it. I don't know if you tried this one yet. Sure enough, we do a couple of swatches. Exact match. Exact match. So now, of course, I feel like a damn fool because I've gone through 23 cans of paint in the house. I took, I, I ripped a piece of wall out and took it to Home Depot, spent $22 on a gallon of paint. That's not even the right match. And Michelle, some help. I said, where did you find this? I have to know. She goes, no, it was in the laundry room. You have your man eyes. You no, no. Eyes. Well, maybe that, maybe that's one excuse. I have a conspiracy that maybe she was hiding this paint from me. <laughs> I don't yes. know where she would have hit it. That's exactly what she was doing. Just, 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 just so she could give me an I told you so. And, and this way, she could be the one who comes up and says, see, see how important I am. I know a paint. So what did you learn about the importance of keeping cans of paint? What did you learn? Well, it, should be, it should be my wife's job because clearly. Well, because we, we know that. This, this, we would have fast forwarded five weeks and have actually. Clearly, it's paint. all about moms. Did yeah. you have, did you label? Mom is the bomb. Mom did is you, the bomb. Did you label the, the, the cans of paint with what was in, the, in those cans? Yeah. And you know what they do is the, the folks that are, are selling and distributing this paint, they like take a little, Why no, a little but did, swath of did it. Didn't you write like kids' bedroom, upstairs wall? No, it um, had some sort of Crayola name for the color and that was on the label. But So life lesson. I, I don't know. You know, just just call it white or well, or call it eggshell life don't lesson. call it don't call it sunrise dream no but life lesson. Know, don't you... call it don't call it you know milk in your cereal after you've eaten lucky charms just give it a real name please well, but you go in with that little sharpie and you write in bedroom hallway now i know bathroom because i have you know cans of paint and on them i write exactly your room they're for now, had I known that you'd be in the situation you are, I might have saved you uh, $20. Um, the fact of being uh, outshined by your wife. Um, but Which happens regularly, and she is clearly, the, you know, the, the true scene. But I, but, I would, but I love the image of you trying to figure out, because I know how, how handy you are. That's one of your, uh, one of your traits. Well, painting is, is like my thing. Yeah. You know, I know how to schmear. Right. And try to go through but, and see all these different. So here, here's where I'm trying to save face. I asked, I asked my wife, I said, so is there some room that you need me to paint with this new gallon that I bought at Home Depot? Because I don't want it to go to waste. Is there some room that could be a little bit off grayish, sort of whitish? <laughs> anyway, any, <laughs> bathroom, can we just recoat that just so I funny. feel useful? But you were bad to the dad because you didn't give up. I was more bad than I was dad, but yeah. yeah, this is a bad to the dad moment, imperfect species. You know, that's funny because I had a similar situation. This is a, a legit dad moment. I am uh, of most importance in this house, the bug slayer. And I think we made that very clear. Uh, I'm also the one that walks around, I fix stuff. And I, I love that part. Uh, and uh, earlier this week, my girls came to me and told me that the bathroom tub was, uh, was clogged. And that uh, uh, the water uh, was coming up was about uh, an inch and everything else. And I'm thinking, that's fine. That's okay. I'm happy to take care of it. Now, mind you, I've had experience with clogged drains. And so I knew, I knew what to get. They have uh, these uh, 
they're they're plastic strips. You know, it's, if you get a clear drain, it's called a snake. You want to use a snake, right? So these is little oh, plastic yeah. clips are like about like a foot and a half, maybe two feet in length, right? So uh, I went and I picked them up, and the idea is you you take these plastic things and you put it down the drain. Now, mind you, uh, not knowing what to expect, uh, but knowing to expect that I am the daughter of girls. And I'm the daughter of girls that have very long hair. So you, you, you with me? Oh, yeah. I, I think I know where this ends. Maybe there's an O. Henry ending to this. I'm not sure. So, I'll let you keep talking. So I, you know, I'm in the bathtub. I start putting down the, the plastic snake and I'm pushing it down, pushing it down. And I slowly kind of pull this piece of plastic out and out comes this, this lump, right? And it's You black. sure it wasn't your hair. Well, I, I, I guarantee and it keeps going and I keep pulling and I keep pulling. I keep pulling. Was it like a whole human head that came out? It was out almost like, point? it was like Chewbacca coming out. <laughs> you pulled an Ewok out of the, out of the drain. I pulled an Ewok and I kept pulling. It was over two feet in length. And I came and like, I told the girls, get in here, get in here. It was, I pulled it out and I held it up. It was literally two feet in length. Did you um, gag? I did it. <laughs> but I made all the girls come in and say, see, this is why you need me. So don't come after me about doing the dishes, going to the grocery store. That This is what I do. <laughs> I, I swear to you, it was a two-foot Ewok that came out of the out of the, uh, the drain. <laughs> and and what did they do after you showed them? Did they say, uh, okay, they would, Dad? They, well, they said, thanks, Dad. That's gross. Um I put it in a, in a bag and uh, we moved on and guess what? No more clogged. But I had my bad to the dad moment in there. So it was, uh, it was very funny. And you don't see, you don't see Michaela or Brianna helping you with that the next time. Not that moment, but I do want to let them know. I, whenever I do stuff around the house, um, whether it's uh, painting or it's uh, fixing things, adding electric things, using electric tape, I always explain to them the tools that I'm using because I want them to become self-sufficient when it okay. comes to uh, those tools. So that was one of my bad to the damn moments, even no, though we had a great that. Hanukkah, we lit the candles, uh, but I felt the uh, the two foot Ewok coming out of the, uh, <laughs> the bathtub was the highlight of my bad to the dad uh, at week 15 of uh, our final of season four. So That's awesome. We learned that uh, we just got a little mini dad vice from coach Randy. We also learned that coach Randy is also coach uh, Roto-Rooter. <laughs> so for, for all your your plumbing needs maybe a little, little side hustle coach coming up we have rabbi ari lucas of congregation of Gudith israel of west essex and caldwell new jersey again that's coming up right here on bad to the dead We are Bad to the Dad with Coach Randy and Adam D. If you want to find us on social media, it's really not that hard. Our handle for all platforms is at Bad to the Dad. That includes Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Not quite on TikTok, but our daughters have to teach us all about that. And we're on the web as well, www.badtothedad.com, where you can see guests, past, present, and future. And if you want to reach out to us, you can. We have good old-fashioned email. Contact us at badtothedad.com. That's contact us at badtothedad.com. And we're also using that DM mechanism on social media. So on any of those platforms you want to reach out, feel free. 
We'll read, we'll answer, we may even use some of your content on one of our shows. We're bad to the dad. Coach, it's our season four finale, and we are thrilled to have a good friend of ours as we celebrate the Jewish festival of Hanukkah. It is Rabbi Ari Lucas of Congregation of Gudith Israel in Caldwell, New Jersey. One of one of our rabbis, Rabbi Lucas. Uh, amazing, amazing to have you on. Bad to the day. Thanks for making the time. Shalom, Chavir. Shalom. Shalom. It's an honor. I, I think Coach Randy is just trying to impress you with whatever he remembered from Hebrew school. Uh, hopefully he's doing a good job. I shalom. Hope he, I hope he remembered a little bit more than Shalom. Yes. Latkes. <laughs> That's we'll enough. save it. We'll save it. Yes, we'll save it for another broadcast. And I, I just want everyone to know that while Rabbi Lucas is an outstanding rabbi and a man of God, and the first man of the cloth that we've had on Bad to the Dad, we have learned uh, quite quickly that God is not a fantasy football fan. Because if God was a fantasy football fan, Rabbi Lucas would have won our synagogue fantasy football league three years running and uh, it hasn't happened yet. So I think, I think that's a fair theological statement, which is to say, God does not care about fantasy football. And he has better things to worry about. I think yeah, it's theological she's rationalization. He's, yeah, she's, well, she's pretty I think God's hands are pretty full right now with some other things. So I would imagine fantasy football is probably on the lowest tier level of God's uh, priorities right about now. Yeah, yeah, I think that's safe to but say. But as they say, you know, Rabbi, you can disagree if it's not if it's not correct. But Shammai used to say, "We plan, God laughs." <laughs> you say it in Yiddish. Do you know how to say it in Yiddish? Perfect. Your your <laughs> accent though is from the Galiziano region. Of, yeah, uh, or from a Mel Brooks movie. Yeah, exactly. It's from <laughs> South Poland. I'm from a different region of Poland. <laughs> L'chaim. L'chaim. All right, you got to dial it down. Uh, I think I think he gets the point. But uh, Rabbi Rabbi Lucas, you know, we did mention it is the the festival of Hanukkah, the festival of lights. You know, the eight eight nights, and you know, I, I think it's important to kind of you know, go, go back into, into the history books here because it, it's very common when Hanukkah rolls about to hear one of two questions. What do you want for Hanukkah? And what are you getting me for Hanukkah? And we realize that there's a much stronger historical significance and it's not just about the present exchange. So can you give us a little bit of background historically about you know, what Hanukkah is all about? Sure. Uh, Hanukkah commemorates a miracle that happened a long time ago, over 2,000 years ago, in the land of Israel. Uh, the uh, Jewish community who lived in Israel at that time were conquered by the Assyrian Greeks, um, and Antiochus Epiphanes was the bad guy of the story. Uh, they came into Israel and they imposed uh, not only political domination, but uh, religious domination. They, um, they ransacked our temple, they put pagan gods in there, uh, and they demanded that everybody in the land of Israel worship as the Assyrian Greeks did. Um, that's a problem for Jews. Jews don't like bowing down to other people's gods. Uh, not then, not today. So, uh, the Jewish community at that time struggled with this. It was not a simple, uh, simple time to live as a Jew. And there was a group of very courageous zealots who put up an armed rebellion. Uh, they were the Maccabees. Uh, Judah Maccabee is the hero of the story in the way we tell it. And um, 
he, along with his family and a, a group of other committed um, zealots, uh, took up arms against the mightiest army in the ancient world, and they won. Uh, that's a miracle. Uh, we, we believe that that's a miracle. And then the second miracle that happened was when they returned to the temple, it had been defiled. The temple is a holy space. It needed to be cleaned up and rededicated. The word Hanukkah actually means dedication, rededication. So we're commemorating not the dedication of the temple, which happened when it was first built, but the rededication after, after it had been defiled. And uh, of course, many people know the story of the oil, which is that there was only a little bit of oil to be found to light the menorah. The menorah, as you might know, was a centerpiece of the sanctuary and the ritual in the, in the temple, but there was only a little bit of oil left. They lit it, uh, thinking that it would only last for one day and it lasted for eight nights. Uh, and therefore we celebrate an eight night festival to this day uh, commemorating the miracles that happened for them, but also affirming that miracles happen in every generation to sustain us and to, um, to keep us connected. Uh, it's a message of religious freedom, independence. It's a message of hope uh, and courage. Uh, and it's also a message of latkes and presence. So, well, one thing that I often get from uh, the, the world in which we live, it's very diverse, it's very culturally diverse, is this idea of, oh, isn't Hanukkah the Jewish Christmas? Isn't it the Jewish you, Christmas? I'm curious how you respond to that question when you hear it. I say no. <laughs> <laughs> You're correct. Americanized. Our Jewish well, kids felt very badly that all the non-Jewish kids got all these great gifts. And so we had to find a way to up the ante by not just giving gifts on one day. As Adam Chandler says, we get eight glorious nights. Of I just said the holiday was celebrated for eight days. I didn't say <laughs> gifts were given for eight days. In our house, we try to do every other. You give and you get, you give and you get. So. You know, I would say yes and no, which might be surprising to hear from a rabbi that Hanukkah is in some ways the Jewish Christmas, which is to say the idea of having a light festival at this time of year is not unique to Judaism. Um, the idea that in the darkest days of the year, we light light and we bring our light and uh, God's light into the world. Um, that is shared uh, with other religions. Uh, but the story and the message is uniquely our own and, and it would be unfair, especially a holiday that's about honoring the diversity of, of different religious traditions to conflate them and say that they're all the same. Uh, Hanukkah has its own story, its own message. Yes, uh, that you know, uh, Hanukkah, the presence is a, is a tough one. Um, in the old country, you know, in Eastern Europe, they wouldn't give presents on Hanukkah. They would give gelt, right? Which is, you know, they would play dreidel and they'd get coins uh, to spend for a treats or things like that. Um, but in America, there has been a shift towards presence. I don't think that's a terrible thing. You know, I think in some way it's a season of giving. Uh, we can... Uh, take that aspect of this season and incorporate it into our festival of Hanukkah, as long as it doesn't become the centerpiece or the focus of what Hanukkah is about. But doesn't that play into the desire of the Jews who came into the United States, having experienced so many uh, pogroms and the Holocaust to assimilate into American culture? And one of the best ways to assimilate is to take on some of those American traits. So it makes sense in order for them to become Americans, would be to follow some of those particular cultures. 
Yes, and there's a deep irony there because again, the story of Hanukkah is about fighting assimilation. There were Jews at the time of the Hanukkah story. I didn't mention them, but there, I mentioned them a bit um, uh, obtusely, but right, there were Jew I said it was complex uh, at that time. There were Jews who were pro-assimilation who said, great, let's join the Greeks. Let's be part of that culture. They're the biggest and best thing around. Let's become Greeks. And the Maccabees were a reactionary group against that and said, oh, no, no, you know, that's not what Jews do. Uh, so we celebrate the victory of those who argued for a distinct Jewish identity, not an assimilated one. Uh, in America, we've always found that, that balance, which is Americanizing, finding a certain sense of incorporation. Um, that's part of the American story in general for all immigrant groups. Uh, but also maintaining and preserving our distinct identity. I think we can do both, um, but it requires awareness and consciousness of the pitfalls. So I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I think one of the, the beautiful things about our synagogue, which uh, you, know, you are a religious leader of, is that we are a member of a ministerial association called WEMA, the West Essex Ministerial Association. And, and it's really cool because we come together in times of crisis to unite ecumenical services and celebrate each other's diversity and, and you know, the, the power of what each faith provides to the world. So have you ever gotten folks from you know, your congregations throughout your, you know, throughout your tenure uh, or otherwise saying, hey, you know, we, we, our kids go to public school, we've got a lot of non-Jewish friends, we celebrate Hanukkah, but my kids want to go and help friends down the street decorate the tree or put tinsel up or things like that. Um, I'm curious to hear what the, and I know every rabbi will probably be different, right? Depending on the denomination, but what's been your tack on that? That's a tricky one. Each parent I think has to figure that out uh, mm -hmm. on their own. Uh, if they're asking me for counsel, uh, my advice would be you can appreciate and acknowledge the beauty in other people's traditions without participating uh, in, their, uh, in their celebration, which is to say, my neighbors have beautiful Christmas lights and we look at them and say, aren't those beautiful? You know, look how lovely it is that they put those up. Um, but if they asked us to come put them up, we'd say, you know what, we're, we appreciate the offer. Thank you very much. Um, we look forward to seeing them when they're up, you know, uh, that, that's how I would respond. But I also get it that it's, um, it's not a simple thing. You want to be neighborly, you want to be friendly, uh, you want to be supportive. Uh, I think it's important for us to remind our children of the difference uh, that there are some things we do and everybody's going to draw that boundary a little bit differently. You know, what you will and won't let people participate in. Yeah, and I like what you said about, hey, the, the home has to, has to decide, right? You have to be comfortable in your own skin, uh, but still be able to own your identity. Rabbi Lucas, just shifting gears a little bit, um, 2020, was not the year that anybody really signed up for <laughs> at all. Uh, it had a little bit of everything and I think it uh, cha challenged us uh, morally um, every month, you know, there was, there was something new to contend with. So as a member of the clergy, loaded question, what were some of the things that people came to you for guidance on and, and how did you help? Uh, it's been a hard year. I. Um, people came to me for guidance for a lot of things. Uh, we've had, you know, the economic impacts that have affected the broader American society, we're not immune to them. There are people who have lost jobs, people who are 
uh, struggling with that, parents who are struggling with managing kids at home and um, maintaining their commitments to their work and their family, concerns about their health, all the things that I'm sure people are experiencing in their own lives, uh, they've happened here. And yes, we've had a number of losses within our own community, deaths from COVID and um, and then also the spiritual struggles of not being able to be together. You know, the Jewish tradition has ways that we process death and we comfort each other in moments of loss. And those haven't been available to us. We, you know, typically after somebody dies, uh, people gather around the family of that person in their home and bring them meals and bring services and comfort and friendship to their home. Of course, we can't do that now. So it's been hard to do some of the things that we typically do to deal with this kind of crisis. We have found other ways to do it. We do Zoom shivas, which means, you know, we'll gather for services online. We've done Zoom funerals. We've done, uh, you know, um, uh, other gatherings and holiday celebrations. We've given people resources to make the holidays special in their home when we can't gather together in the synagogue. Uh, there is, and it will still be a lot of spiritual wreckage from this experience. Uh, we're not yet able to fully appreciate it, I don't think. Uh, Hanukkah, I think, can help, which is that the story of the lighting of the menorah happened in the middle of the battle. It wasn't over. Um, but you find moments along the way to affirm your connection, your hope, small wins, bringing a little bit of light to the world, uh, even amidst uh, a battle that is ongoing. And if you can find a way to celebrate a small win in any given day, or you can find a brief moment of connection, uh, well, that was a good day and that was a, a bit of light amidst the darkness. So that's what I try and counsel people. Uh, that's what I try and remember myself <laughs> in my own family, my own life. Uh, and uh, we will get through this together um, and we'll, we'll continue to figure out how to best support each other along the way. You know, uh, Rabbi, um, there's a song that we sing um, every year during Pesach, Passover, Dayenu. And it's like, you know, had we just had the pandemic, you know, that would have been enough. Had we just listened jobs, you know, Dayenu, right? Um, had we just dealt with, uh, you know, um, the case with uh, Black Lives Matter, you know, well, that would have been enough. Uh, you know, so there's been a lot of Dianus this year. It's been uh, hard. Um, what are your thoughts, given your role as a rabbi, about all these social justice issues that are confounding the challenges we face, uh, not just as an American culture, but also as a Jewish culture in terms of um, how you're dealing with that from your perspective? Yeah, it's um, uh, as much as we've turned inward this year, and we've thought about our own homes and our own families and our own livelihood, uh, there's also uh, a tremendous call for us to turn out and to, to think about the concerns of others um, and to, um, to pursue that. It's a tension because I think people are so uh, focused on what, what their own uh, well-being will be. And, and the question is, how do you, how do you point it outwards? Um, I see my role as a rabbi to, number one, hold the community together. And we start with ourselves. We start with ours. How do we build a just and fair and caring and inclusive community? That's the first step. And then we hope that ripples outwards. And then we think about partnering with other people who are working towards that. Um, so we're doing some learning. 
we're thinking about how we can best uh, best do that within our own community and then partner with other people who are working towards uh, towards just ends. Um, the Hanukkah, I'll just make another Hanukkah connection. Once you light that candle, uh, you're supposed to put it in a place where the world can see. Because uh, the idea isn't just that you light a candle to light up your own home. You're actually not supposed to use the Hanukkah candles for light uh, in your own home. You're actually, you know, uh, you're not supposed to use the Hanukkah candles. They're supposed to be a message that you project out into the world. Miracles are possible. Hope is possible. Diversity is beautiful. Uh, and each individual candle uh, has its own integrity, but together they, they create a bright light that we project out into the world. And if you want to see a really powerful photo, you could go to Yad Vashem, their Instagram account, or the U.S. Holocaust Museum. There is an amazing photo uh, taken from inside the living room of a German Jewish home with the menorah uh, with one or two candles lit. And in the background is the Nazi swastika banner hanging from a municipal hall or, or, or some such place. So... You know, uh, we, we love underdog stories and, you know, Jewish people have been underdogs for, for millennia. And, uh, you know, these are, these are the powerful images that, again, remind us that, uh, you know, we're here to stay or anybody who's oppressed, um, you know, they, they rally and uh, they have the will. They, they will remain as well. So I think about the courage it took to light that Hanukkah in that context, that, that menorah in that context. And if they could light it then there, well, how much more so do we have an obligation to be proud and also to think about hmm. how we stand up to forces that would otherwise flatten the, the difference and the beauty of, uh, uh, of our world. Yeah, yeah, well said. Well said. We're speaking with Rabbi Ari Lucas of Congregation Agudith Israel in Caldwell, New Jersey. Rabbi Lucas, we know that you're not just a rabbi, but you're also a dad. And sometimes uh, you're, you're, you have to interweave both, you know, with advice and counsel and, of course, you know, um, fostering a, a religious home. I know that your kids are young. Uh, you have three kids of the age of, uh, you know, seven, seven and, and younger. So <laughs> I was going to say, what did you do in a past life? But I don't know if we believe in reincarnation. Um, but are your kids old enough to really appreciate that the work that you do and also understand the fact that you're a quote unquote, a father to 920 other family units in the community? Um, I think they get that Abba, they call me Abba for dad. They, I think they get that Abba has commitments to other people. I don't think they know any difference, so they don't have anything to compare it to. Um, I don't think they fully know what rabbi means. <laughs> you know, when we used to come to synagogue, they'd see me up on the bima, up on the uh, the podium, and they, they knew that other people's dads were not up there, but um, I don't think they fully get it. And what's actually been helpful is, you know, in our synagogue, we, we have a senior rabbi, Rabbi Alan Silverstein. And, and legendary, legendary. And we are going to miss him dearly. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I call him the rabbi. So, you know, mm -hmm. whenever he's speaking, I'll say to my kids, the rabbi is speaking. And this way, they also have a concept of rabbi that's not me. <laughs> so mm -hmm. they, they have a relationship with a rabbi and they have a relationship with a dad. Um, I don't know if they get what I do, but they know that I'm often running off to other things. Um, and I try and also not let that, imp uh, you know, uh, um, stop me being there for them as their dad in the best way that I can be. Just real quick, when it came to uh, 
being a rabbi, you know, there's often the idea about being a calling. Um, have you talked much to your kids about life and life dreams and how you chose to become a rabbi with them? Not yet. They haven't really inquired. Um, you might know my dad is also a rabbi. So this is a family business. And um, for a long time, for me, that was a strike against becoming a rabbi. Uh, not because I always admired what he did. I always respected what he did. But uh, it was mainly other people imposed on me certain expectations. Say, you're going to be a rabbi like your dad. And I would say, uh, are you going to be a podiatrist like your dad? <laughs> you know, um, I didn't like people uh, imposing upon me the expectations just because of what my dad did. Uh, eventually, I came to, as, as I grew up and I tried a couple different careers, I came to appreciate uh, how meaningful that work was to him and even how meaningful it was to our family that my dad was involved in the life of a community, helping families, helping people. Um, and uh, I came to appreciate that it's a it's it's good honest work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now you know sometimes in my my own training classes I like to ask getting to know you questions and I think we did this on a um, a more closed circuit broadcast with you uh, with our congregation a number of, of months ago. But I always like to ask people in a profession if you weren't what you're doing now. So if you weren't a rabbi what's a career that you would pursue? And I know you had a, a past life before you became a rabbi, so maybe that informs your answer. I don't know. I'd be catcher, starting catcher for the New York Mets. It's very easy. Well, I'm sorry uh, to say team. they just signed a losing team. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, in another career? Um, I'd really like to work in tech. I think the less because I have the skill set to do it, uh, but more because I am attracted to the culture of some of those, you know, startup tech companies that have unlimited vacation policies and, you know, are thinking very creatively and, and innovatively about the way they work. Um, but not not because I actually am attracted to the work itself, more to the the culture of that kind of workplace. <laughs> And, and, you know, it wouldn't be that hard for you to make that switch because Israel has been a breeding ground for so many outstanding tech companies, uh, including Waze, which is how I get around. If it wasn't for Waze, I probably wouldn't be able to leave, leave my own development. And of course, you know, so many American Jews are responsible for some of the everyday apps and technologies that, that, that we use right at, right at our fingertips. So, yeah. you know, if uh, you get bored with us, you know, the, the pivot probably wouldn't be too hard, but we, we, we hope that that's not the case. Yeah. No, the irony is, I think the thing that I find most meaningful about rabbinic work is the ability to be with people in the most important moments of their lives. And no matter how innovative or exciting the work culture would be, I don't think I would have that opportunity in those other uh, environments. So I'm grateful for what I do every day. I'm in the right place for me. Yeah, as, as are we. Yeah. And so, uh, Rabbi, when you're not rabbiing, when you're not dealing with families and uh, it's hard. I know one of the biggest things that you deal with are losses and families and funerals. You spend a lot of time at funerals. Uh, so you're doing a lot of different ages and stages. So you're not focused on that work, um, even though it's a 24-hour day job. What are things you love to do with your kids to spend time together? And what do you like to do with your kids? I mean, the park is just the best. And I'm still. my kids are still young. So I've tried to foster them getting involved in some uh, some organized sports, but they haven't really taken to that yet. Uh, but for us, we'll just go in the backyard and kick around a soccer ball or we'll go to the park and they'll play. 
Um, we like going on hikes. We like going out to anything outdoors, really, <laughs> is, is what I'd say. Uh, yeah, with the kids, I, the um, Liberty Science Center. I know you have a international uh, following, so I'll try and keep it generic, but- No, 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 no. We have France, and we found out this week, we're in the top 40 in Luxembourg. Amazing. Do you know anything about Luxembourg, Rabbi Lucas? Have you been there? No. Do you know where it is on a map, if I asked you? I'm, I'm mixing it up in my mind with Liechtenstein, but that's- Yeah, not... people often do that. Yeah. No, they I don't know their Liechtenstein from their Luxembourg, which is a very common mistake. <laughs> I don't know where Luxembourg is. Apparently, whatever it's, it is, it's, it's the sandwich... top 40 podcast Yeah, it's, it, you, you know how they say like Iowa and Nebraska are the flyover states? Luxembourg is a flyover country. Uh, that we have to learn a little bit more about it because we have a fan base there, but it's between Germany, France, and Belgium. Yeah, I would have put it somewhere in there, but I yeah. didn't know exactly. So um, for all those of you in Luxembourg, next time you're near Newark, New Jersey, I want you to go <laughs> to the Liberty, uh, Liberty Science Center. It is an incredible place. And that's what, if we had a free Sunday and it wasn't COVID times, that's where we'd be going today. Yeah, that, that is a fascinating, fascinating museum. Very hands-on and great IMAXs if you're into IMAXs. If you like sound just assaulting you in a theater, that's the way to go. Bright lights, bright lights. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. Rabbi Lucas, uh, this is the home stretch of our program. We're going to be talking about dad vice. I know you're uh, you know, a semi-frequent listener to the podcast, so you have an idea of what dad vice is. But for those of, uh, those of you who are just joining us, any advice that you might have for other dads? And you can take the rabbinic track, or you can make it more general. What should da dads know, other dads who are listening know from Rabbi Ari Lucas? Uh, so I'll give you my personal advice and then I'll give you rabbinic advice from the Talmud. How about that? It's a two for one. I love it. Oh my God, I love two for Two for one. You were so well behaved coach until this point. <laughs> I was gonna give you a cookie, but all right, we, we digress and we digress too much. Rabbi, the stage is yours. My advice is you need to find every way to conserve energy possible. Uh, I actually had an idea of writing a book and I never got past the first chapter because I was too tired, but the, the book would be Parenting Lying Down, which is to say, how can you, you know, the conventional wisdom to new parents is you have to sleep while the baby sleeps. And my advice is that's not enough. You need to find ways to sleep while your kids are awake. So how can you do activities and games while on your back, <laughs> you know, different things where you can conserve energy while also watching your kids. That is tongue in cheek, but that's my Ari Lucas advice. My Rabbi Lucas advice uh, comes from the Talmud. This is maybe uh, ancient dad advice from the rabbinic, um, the rabbinic compendium of laws and uh, discussions that happened about 2000 years ago. And the rabbis teach us that there are several things that a parent must do for their child. And one of them is teach them how to swim. Uh, and the wisdom behind that is you need to teach your children how to be self-sufficient, how to survive in the world and to move away from you. <laughs> um, I think in this world of helicopter parents and everyone wanting to provide everything for their children, which is so wonderful and well-intentioned, the primary goal is to teach your children how to exist without you. Uh, so. Teach them how to swim. The gift of independence. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Well, and, and Coach Randy's still wearing floaties, so <laughs> maybe a remedial lesson for our, for our good friend. Uh, Rabbi Ari Lucas of Congregation of Gudith Israel in West Essex. This was a great joy. I, I can't think of a better guest for our season finale, especially during Hanukkah. Thank you so, so much for making time in what we know is a tremendously 
busy schedule, especially at this time of year. Great to have you on. Happy Hanukkah. Thank you so, so much. We are Bad to the Dad. Download us wherever you find podcasts. We're Bad to the Dad with Coach Randy and Adam D. Again, brought to you by Berman Branding. You want to visit Berman Branding, go to bermancs.com. That's bermancs, as in consulting services.com for all of your web design, graphic design, marketing, and business plan needs. Becky Berman, she takes care of us. She'll take care of you. Also brought to you by Movember and movember.com. That's Movember with an M, as in mustache November. Grow a funky mustache, raise money and awareness for men's health issues and even though it's December and will soon be January, every month should be November because, again, it's all about men's health, everything from mental health to other physical issues. And we are also brought to you anonymously by a group of teachers that just want to thank all the other teachers, the administrators, and the support staff for doing a great job during the COVID era educating our kids, regardless of what educational institution you may represent. Coach, I want to thank Rabbi Ari Lucas, a congregation of Gudith Israel in Caldwell, New Jersey. Learned a lot. You know, got yeah, the refresher I, about Hanukkah. Learned, yeah. Learned. And we have to remember that this is not an easy job. Um, you know, we have, to, we have to remember that being a rabbi is almost like being any kind of member of the clergy is being an essential worker because of all the mental health, the counseling, and, and the just being there that these people need to do for their flock. Yeah. I don't know if I ever told you, but uh, many moons ago when I was uh, living in San Francisco, trying to figure out the, uh, the, who am I kind of question out of uh, college. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at one point I, I dabbled in the possibility of becoming a rabbi. Really? I, I, I did. Rabbi, rabbi coach Randy. <laughs> <laughs> I really, really did. Uh, I had uh, been working at a JCC um, and B'nai B'rith Youth is kind of a, a, a dual job into a full-time job. And I was just trying to figure out, you know, who am I, what I want to be? And somehow I had this idea that I, I could be a rabbi. I think it'd be, you know, I could be a good rabbi. I like people, I like to help people. So uh, there was a rabbi in Burlingame, California. For life mm-hmm. of me, I just can't remember the rabbi's name. And he he said, come shadow me. had a profound effect on you. Yes, <laughs> well... <laughs> <laughs> a very big, big, big effect. Well, I, I, I didn't know him. I didn't grow up there. So it was just uh, mm-hmm. someone who was just being kind. And so I shadowed yeah. him for like two weeks. And because uh, I wanted to see what it was like to be a rabbi. I thought it was a really good idea. And you know what I found out a rabbi does most of his time or her time? Mm. Funerals. Funerals. Mm. Yeah. He was always at a funeral. He was always dealing with someone who just lost somebody. And the thing is, as a rabbi... If someone dies on your day off, you get no day off. And uh, yeah, no, it's a seven day a week. Now, 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 it could have been a fluke. I mean, the odds are it could have been a couple of weeks of just people just dying. And I said to myself, if that's what it means to be a rabbi, <laughs> I don't want to think of it. It's just not going to be for me. The, uh, maybe maybe you just had a very sick congregation <laughs> where they were very elderly. That's, that's and, a possibility. Uh, I thought know, you were going to say, Coach, that I would have loved to have been a rabbi if it wasn't for all that Hebrew I had to know. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, then I learned it was a five-year program. But I, I swear to you, 
it really was because he was spending so much. He explained to me it's all about life events. Yep. Uh, you know, life, life, life moments. Uh, he said the weddings are great, the princes are good, but it was really this. It's it's an unbelievably hard job, and you really have to have this idea calling that you are. Uh, I and I love what uh, Rabbi Lucas talks about. You know, you're the you're the parent to so many different families and your counselors, yeah. and you you take on so many different roles. Uh, it is uh, a draining job, um, and uh, to know people who are rabbis, who I have you and I have many friends um, that do it. Um, I did not have that in me to be a, to be a rabbi. Yeah. So and all I can say is thank God for all of us that you didn't and you chose exactly. the path that you did. Yes. Because we wanted you to be all in and, uh, you know, you can't, you can't be half a rabbi, right? Yeah. You no, gotta, but, gotta be all in. And the funny part is, is when I was at the Hebrew Union college getting my master's degree in, uh, executive nonprofit management, it didn't matter what my family thought, what I was doing. They just thought I was becoming a rabbi, even though I kept saying I wasn't, but because I was going to a Hebrew college. Oh, in their mind. Makes uh, sense. So it's very funny. He was, uh, he's very, he's such a remarkable human being. Uh, you were part of the, the search committee that helped find him. And uh, Yashir Koa did such a great job in bringing him. What a remarkable human being. Uh, we're, uh, we're very fortunate to have Rabbi Lucas and uh, Coach, very fortunate to be working with you on Really, an unusual but I think remarkable season. This is—I'm not saying remarkable, patting ourselves on the back. I, I really feel like every week we punctuated current events with the guests that we had. That's mm-hmm. what I mean by remarkable. I, I really feel like everybody that we had on was somehow relevant to what was going on in the world. And I can't wait till like I'm 80 years old and I listen back and have that remember when moment of. You remember the peak of COVID times <laughs> and the election and yeah. social justice and, well, we didn't cover murder hornets, but we co- covered a lot of everything, even sports, how COVID affected yeah. sports. And I really thought that we had great representation. Uh, we even had a bourbon guy on, you know, sometimes yeah. you just got to hit the pause button and throw yes. back a bourbon yeah. and bring on somebody with expertise. So as a producer and as a co-host, very proud of what we've done. And I think it's going to motivate us to up our game in season five, but thanks for being part of the journey in, oh, in season four, trying to get better every year. Adam D is a, and the feeling is obviously mutual. I uh, prefer the presence of your presence. Um, but it was uh, something, again, we just spoke about doing for years and we finally just did it. And lo and behold, we are uh, big in France and big in Luxembourg. And I think we're going to get even bigger. And little tease, little tease, we are talking about our very first book for dads. For dads. Um, taking all the dad advice that we have gathered the in the advice. course of the last four seasons. We've got so much to offer, so many things to give our listeners that uh, we've talked about it. And just like other things, I think now it's time to put it out to the universe that you will see this year next time by Hanukkah season. Our very first volume one, mm-hmm. just like Bell Brooks in the History World Part One, right? Yeah. This will be. And there were no others after that. There were no others after that, right? Uh, it'll be volume one of some kind of book, Dad Vice, whatever it might be, uh, authored by Coach Randy and Adam D. Uh, and I'm I'm kind of excited about putting that out there. I think that's that's the next step. A lot of material to work with. A lot of material, yeah. you know, like you said, my. 
make a great holiday book, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Christmas. If you're an atheist, it just, you know, Thursday, just, just pick up the book, you know, and I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, maybe we can have it translated into Luxembourgish. Luxembourgish. So we can accommodate our listeners in, in that country. And French. <laughs> and French, and yet naturally. Naturally, I, I, Naturally. Think, I think they'd enjoy it because, you know, a, a bad to the dad is, is is a bad to the dad in any country. And I think that's great. Uh, so you're probably wondering, all right, you're at the, the season's end here. Yeah. What is coming up? So, you know, we do our break yes, where we, we go back to the drawing board and think about guests and try to come up with new and inventive ways to make the podcast great for you. And if you have ideas, again, contact us at badtothedad.com. Guest ideas. Ideas around conversation, ideas around topic. You know, again, what we love about this program is that it's interactive and the listeners have helped to build the show. They've helped to inform the show and, and, and we do listen to those ideas. So we'll take our break. We'll come back with a special because there's so many sci-fi and fantasy streaming options during the holiday season. So the dad geeks are going to come back yes. just after New Year's. We'll have Neil Tenzer. We'll have John Brooks. And of course, our season one, episode one guest, granddaddy of them all. Chris Diaz. Yes, and, what, and we have Cheetos. We have quite. I think we have quite the name for the uh, the episode. Hit us up with it. Dadalorians. The Dadalorians, of it course, does. based on the Mandalorian, which is the <laughs> hit streaming series on Disney Plus from Star yes. Wars. So yeah, we're actually going to talk about the Mandalorian season two. We'll talk about the boys. Talk about the Umbrella Academy, and by then, the Wonder Woman. 1984. 1984 movie will be out on HBO Max. So we'll chat a little bit about that and see how everybody felt about it. And then probably around early to mid-February, we'll come back with yep. season number five. So usually we return just around uh, Super Bowl time. Who knows when the Super Bowl is going to be this year because COVID keeps pushing and manipulating seems the schedule. To be, but seems to be. Keep an eye on social media. That's where you can find us. And we'll give you alerts as to when the new season, season five, will be broadcast, maybe with some of our favorite guests returning, but all new guests, all new guests. And You, you will like find a way to have new guests because that's just what you do. Uh, you do's what you do's. You got to hustle. You got to put in the reps, as we yep. say. Put, put in, in the reps. reps. So thank you, everybody, for listening to season four. Thank you for, again, continuing on this ride with us on Bad to the Dad. So have a very happy holiday season. And dads, have a great week. 